Welcome to Bad Patient. I'm Robin Donovan. I'm Death, also known as Laura Marker. <laughs> and we are two non-medical, non-experts taking an unreasonably deep dive into this week's health news. This week's words are female problems, <laughs> ketamine, walk your dog, and eye exam. <laughs> and you do sound a little bit like Death. And I feel super guilty because last week I published the episode while you were at Disney, saying all the ways that you could get sick at Disney. But I only did that because I thought... I didn't get sick. I didn't get sick at Disney. This is because of the airport. It's definitely not because I touched all the things that small children had touched. Okay. At the very least... To be is... fair, I didn't I didn't start to feel shitty until Monday. Um, and that was well after yeah. I had left. So. But most colds have like a, a few day incubation period. And let's just agree that the people on the flight and the sorry, people I'm sorry, Robin. The, the podcast people. is breaking up. I can't, I can't hear you. All right, fine. You on your flight, certainly not in the happiest place on earth, contracted a cold. So yeah. we are going to apologize to listeners because Laura lost her voice, and I do not have my microphone this week. Still trying to find it. So we are going to do a quick lightning round episode because we don't want to leave you without bad patient for two weeks that would be cruel and unusual yeah so you're welcome you get this sorry about your luck exactly all right you ready for our (laughs) first first article first story all right it comes from buzzfeed and it's military doctors told them it was just quote female problems weeks later they were in the hospital so this is a very long article about how the military is unprepared for to have women in it. So, like, looking at the fact that um, body armor is designed only for a man's body and, like, the backpacks and, like, the shit that they have to carry. And, like, just recently they figured out, like, oh, shit, women's anatomy is different than men's anatomy. And a lot of women are afraid to speak up or complain about any kind of uh, pain that they have that are in that's in the pelvic region because it always gets blamed on... Uh, Female problems, which is apparently how, yeah, well, I mean, menstruating. Uh, Apparently we can't say menstruating and uh, doctors suck still. So (laughs) that is my brief. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I think this is, I think this is a magnification of the issues that women are facing in all medical situations, which is that their pain is not taken seriously and that any pain in any part of their abdomen is supposedly menstruation related and therefore like... We just need to wait. Not but real. of course we know that like problems like cysts and tumors and endometriosis might be things we don't want to wait with. And also uh, downplaying women's pain is not great. Although remember that, that issue, that, that episode that we did where we said that even women do it and that was like shocking and sobering. So. Yep. We do it too. I mean, part of this is like absolutely wrong and part of this is absolutely expected. Yeah. It's just like, and it's. It's. I think it's being addressed more because more women are going into combat areas, mm-hmm. are getting leadership, and are becoming, you know, higher ranking. Yeah. And so because of that, they're like, oh, well, we. Ha- it's not one size fits all. And unfortunately, exactly. sometimes the military solutions is one size fits all. Yeah, and it sounds like they're even experiencing some pretty sexist things. Like, um, a woman had like some sort of injury from ill-fitting equipment, and so she had pelvic pain, and her doctors insisted that it was not a hernia 
but that it was symptoms of a STI. And she mm-hmm. had said like there was basically almost no way that she could have one, but they kept asking her whether or not she had had an affair. And uh, it turns out that, you know, she did not have a sexually transmitted infection. And then they told her what it was endometriosis. And then she had to be medically evacuated and da 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 and then she had to go to germany it's just like one thing after another right like yeah yeah so just a compounding issue that hasn't been fully addressed yeah the military does say that they are working on addressing all soldiers needs yeah but the individual mileage may vary vary. uh for soldiers and depending on their unit and where they're stationed and different things like that so it is uh it's a current issue facing uh the united states military yeah and and this woman you know in in question spent two years being told everything was in her head and ultimately she needed surgery to fix eight eight damaged areas in her abdominal wall and so it's not like this could never happen outside of a military setting but obviously like women in the military are having extreme extreme issues and i don't know it's disheartening and i just feel like we keep talking and talking and talking about it like not a lot of not a lot of things are changing right yeah but speaking of pain you've got a story about ketamine so let's have it yeah so this next story is called is from vox and it's i tried ketamine to treat my depression within a day i felt relief so this is about the new uh, usage of um, a veterinarian anesthetic and sometimes recreational drug known as Special K, uh, which is not a cereal, uh, as I initially thought. Not so, a cereal. Same name, different different thing. And it's about this person's journey and using this as a way to treat her chronic depression. So she had she has been on antidepressants for over a decade, something that she's always like struggled with. She's been in theory, therapy, so she was an excellent candidate. It's an experimental usage of it, and she felt uh, tremendously better within the first first day of using it. There were six different sessions that she would go through, and it looks like it's more effective in treating depression than your typical antidepressant. Yeah, and like the thing to know about antidepressants is they only have to be a few percentage points over placebo um, effective in order to get approved, to my understanding. And so when we look mm-hmm. at this stuff, it, it turns out that those medications, depending on the one, they're not necessarily that effective anyway. So so they're saying this is 70 to 85% effective in people with severe depression compared to 58 to 70% of people who try electroconvulsive therapy, which is colloquially known as electroshock therapy, or if you've seen A Beautiful Mind, that whole thing, which mm-hmm. is actually apparently effective-ish, although... I think yeah. they I think it has like a real bad rap in society because of movies and because it used to like basically liquefy people's brains to that. So my understanding is ketamine also has some hallucinogenic properties in people, so and I think that's why it was initially relegated to veterinary use. Right. So she when she got her first dosage, they like told her if she started having a bad trip to let them know and they would like stop the drug being in the IV and put in like another drug to counteract. So she's not, um, but she had a very good every day. She's like just getting treatments no. periodically. Okay. Yeah. It's six, uh, six treatments, I think over six months, but she immediately felt better. Yeah. And many people who use it describe like a rebirthing experience. And so they think that might have something to do with helping, uh, remove depression is that like reconnection of your, to your body and rebirth, um, might help something psychological. 
They're not really sure why, though. Yeah, this whole thing where people use um, psychoactive, is that what it's called? Like psychoactive medications or, no, not psychoactive, like hallucinogenic things. Like people will go and use peyote and mm. it's almost like, it's like people say anecdotally that it is like rebooting your brain in the same way that you would turn a computer on and off. People say that that's how they feel mm-hmm. with these hallucinogenic drugs. So I'm guessing the ketamine has like a little bit of that when they're saying like rebirthing that's what i'm thinking of because honestly they said rebirthing like we're just supposed to know what that means and like i don't rebirthing is not a word in my vocabulary not a thing that you do (laughs) yeah it's like it's like you give birth and then you're like i don't know let's try that again rebirthing okay so she she paid or she talked to someone who said it would be six hundred dollars per session not covered by insurance okay so they're calling ketamine a dissociative and an anesthetic so we should tell people that like this is a it's an opioid right yeah i think so i don't know so i've heard also um i was talking to like a wilderness paramedic a year ago who was saying that they sometimes use ketamine for people who have like really like kind of gnarly injuries and they need to carry them out or like it's like it's gonna be a while because it's like a painkiller and it makes them like go to a happy place so yeah yes it is an opiate Oh, wait, wait. No, it's not. It works similarly, but it is... So a dissociative anesthetic is different than an opioid. Okay. Okay. So so this person's uh, personal experience seems to imply that it's good. <coughs> Sorry. Hmm, that's okay. Just getting a little of that extraneous Disney out of you. It's not Disney. <laughs> oh my God. I feel so bad about that. And that was our 50th episode too. Did you know that? After I published it, yeah. the website emailed me and was like, congratulations, this is your 50th episode. And I was like, oh shoot. So happy 50 <laughs> episodes. Okay. Sassy Robin is sassy. Oh. <laughs> hmm. So she says it takes 15 or 20 minutes, like the infusion lasts 45 minutes, then like 15 or 20 minutes after that for her to be able to like walk. And then she's super tired. I don't know. I mean, if this had like no, if this was free and had no risks, like I would try it just to, just because I think that there's, I think, I think there could be something to all of this, but like, I don't want to go and just like take shrooms, you know, like I kind of, I want like a bunch of people to do it and then... And then you'll go. Yeah. Also, like, how long ago was this? Because she says, like, she says, she writes, I had come to believe my depression terminal illness, but this so-called party drug may have saved my life. And for her sake, I hope that's true. But it hasn't exactly been a decade since she did it. Right. So there's that. Right. Wait, I said we were going to go super fast and we're not going fast enough. Go, go, go. Next story. Next story. Go. No more so your next story comes from National Public Radio. It's walk your dog, but watch your footing. Bone breaks are on the rise. What? So this is about uh, this is about uh, looking at uh, a study that published uh, saying that uh, Americans over sixty five have had more f- fractures uh, associated with walking dogs on a leash that has doubled since twenty. 20- 2004. I wonder if this is like because the dogs are being more feisty or because if like older people are more active and able to get around than ever before. And so like maybe it used to be like if you were 65, you were like, you were like, I'm not getting a dog. I don't have the energy. And now you're like, I'm 65. I still feel like I'm 45. I want a dog. I'm going to get a dog. And then, and then you have like problems related to the dog. I mean, it doesn't appear to be like a large number of people are injured by a dog. uh, Yeah. Annually. It's like thousands. Um, And then they also said like, you know, just be aware of, of what you're doing uh, because staying on the couch is more risky. Yeah. So, so watch your foot. There's a quote in here from one of, from a preventive medicine specialist who says life is a contact sport. 
with risk everywhere you look. <laughs> There's risk with jogging, bike, driving to work, and of course, walking a dog. Okay, so takeaway, eat healthy, exercise, don't stop walking your dog. But what I want to know, Laura, is what do you think is the reason that from 2004 until recently when they did the study, let's call it, it doubled. Like, what's what are we attributing more dogs. that to? More, yeah, see, I think you're right. Old, I, think, old I people. think older people are more likely to have a dog now. Yeah, I like it. All right, yeah. you ready for our yeah. last article? Okay, it comes from Fox News, and it's eye exam could soon detect Alzheimer's. New study suggests. This is looking at small case of 200 people that the Duke Eye Center were looking at people who had Alzheimer's and did not. And there was in a microscopic blood vessels, there were more dense in the control group than those with Alzheimer's. So um, this is important because it's really difficult to diagnose Alzheimer's in a timely way. And typically you use an MRI or CAT scan and this would be a less invasive way to do that. Yeah. And Um, like a, a, a CAT scan in particular is associated with a large amount of radiation. So I yes. I think that as the technology advances, the radiation levels have gone down. But like, so an MRI is no radiation, but a CT scan is like, I don't know, I Googled it. And all I remember is it said like, it's like 20 chest x-rays. I don't know if that's still true, but um, whoa. Yeah. So whoa. We still Laura. don't know what causes it. Laura. And we don't Laura. know what it means. What? Laura. Is a lot. CT scan. What? Consumer Reports says as much radiation as 200 chest x-rays or the amount that people would be exposed to naturally over seven years. So I think, like, I think we as consumers can be asking more questions. Like if someone's like, you need this scan to be like, do I really need this scan? I'm sure in like so many cases you do. But like, Jesus, 200. That's a lot. It's a lot. And that's from 2015. So it could have gone down. But like, whatever. Reports. What did it go down to? 50? It's like 50 chest x Whatever. Too many. It's too, it's a lot. It's a lot. All right. What is this eye exam thing? Look, so I'm not even like that they, excited about this because it's like, we, we don't have any good treatments for Alzheimer's. <laughs> and now we're like, oh, we're going to be able to tell you super soon that you have Alzheimer's. Like, don't tell me. If you don't have a treatment, like, wait till later. Tell me tomorrow. Wait until, wait until you can't remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it also says the currently cureless disease is the sixth leading cause of death in America, but that does not match up with the CDC leading causes of death. So I would like to understand more. I don't know where they get that from. Oh no, they did. It is. I'm all, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. So the top leading causes of death are oh, heart you just disease, know the top five: cancer, accidents, chronic lower respiratory diseases, which I think would include like COPD, stroke. And then Alzheimer's, followed by diabetes, flu, pneumonia, uh, kidney stuff, and side time. It makes me feel better. I've been like really thinking about the leading causes of death and why they don't include drug overdose for a while. And that's been really bothering me. So I was like, if there was going to be another one where they were like, Alzheimer's is the sixth leading cause, and then it's not on here, I'd be upset. So it's on. Also, the CDC needs to update this data. Several, so I'm going to need them to get on Come it. Come on, CDC. Yeah. What you, what you been doing? So what's the deal? They look in and they're saying if there's blood vessels in your brain that are changing, then they could see that through your it's, eye and and that's how they would like know that thing plays. The people with Alzheimer's blood vessels were less densely uh, around for within the eye. And they don't know if Alzheimer causes that or is that a symptom or is that like something that leads to it? Like uh, but it's a way that they could mm. they could look and then, you know, suggest further diagnosis because of it. So oh, it's, just, man. it's just a new thing to note. 
Yeah, but this is also a study with only 30, like 133 participants in a control group and then 39 participants with Alzheimer's. So it's kind of like, this is interesting, but like, let's not nope. get too nope. excited. No, nope, Robin, don't, don't poo-poo on this very excellent article. It's delightful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because and it's funny this this shows one of the kind of interesting things you can do with numbers so initially they described this Absolutely. as a study of more than 200 people which your average reader is going to assume means 200 people with alzheimer's but no 200 people and then how many people actually followed through less than 200 right so they separated out and now in this case it turns out that there's like four times as many people in a control group as people with Alzheimer's who they're actually studying. So it kind of like, you start out being like, oh, it's 200 people. And then you're like, no, it's like a, it was a few dozen people with Alzheimer's compared to the normal population. Like, I think people sometimes don't realize that like, you can really convey what they're doing. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. And, and you can describe it like well, they got published. It's technically accurate. Well, there's nothing wrong with like a small sample size study. It's just like what's wrong with it is too much weight on it. Right. Which is why I'm always harping about this. But like <gasps> you harping never. never. <laughs> I know. I actually heard myself say that word and I was like, I shouldn't because there's, there's, there's like the whole sexist like women as herpes thing. So it is a point of interest for me. Laura, the way that numbers can be used to convey this data. So I know. That's why sometimes I pick articles to rile you up about. <laughs> well, okay. So current health fascination, which you didn't pick, which is that a group of anti-vaxxers, York, sued some government agency in order to allow their children to be readmitted to school in an area with a measles outbreak. Spoilers, the mm. court said no. Well, that's good. Yeah. There's also been an issue with, like, mumps in a certain immigrant center, uh, which I just barely touched on. But uh, it's interesting because the vaccine that everyone's missing is MMR, measles, mumps, rubella. So now I'm like, you know. Or the rubella. Yeah. So it's actually at Indiana University, which is not so far from you. Um, Yep. Nope. And then I guess 2,200 people have been exposed in Phoenix at an immigration center. Um, So also at Temple University, uh, Southwest Arkansas. Wow. LAX. LAX. There was an exposure a few flus. I know. So I'm, you know, I'm in what's it going to take mode. And I'm really thinking a lot about what we, what we could do to communicate with people who don't want vaccinations because I don't think yelling at them works. And I think that there are people who's, I mean, there, there are people who like believe that vaccines are good for many people and don't believe that vaccines are good for them. And like, I think we're putting like a lot of energy and effort into being like mad at everyone who's not doing it and that there is like a way to reach these people. So I'm thinking about this more from right. a communications perspective now and they're saying like, there is a strategy, like there is a way to get through to them that's not damaging and punitive and like we need to put some effort into like figuring out what that is because like yeah i i have this i have this idea that keeps coming back to me that maybe we just need to like somehow provide hard numbers like find the the like one in 32 million kids who has an outbreak or like not an outbreak a reaction to the vaccine and like show parents that like what is the risk of getting the illness what is the risk if you get the illness what is the risk of the vaccine instead of just telling people like it's safe, it's safe, it's safe, it's safe. Tell them, like, tell them the actual, show them the numbers because there is, like, the the extremely rare case where the where a kid has an allergic reaction thing, right? So, like, that kind of a thing, I feel like maybe we just need to have that conversation and talk about it like anything else. Like, here's the risk. It's a point oh 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 o
level one or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. something. So that's all I got. Well, I think that's enough bad passioning for one week. What do you <laughs> think, Robin? <laughs> I think, yeah. So thanks for everyone for putting up with our <laughs> crappy sound quality. You can visit us online at thebadpatient.com. Send your questions to hello at the bad patient find us on twitter at the bad patient and we want to say a special thank you to evan Schaefer for our theme song thanks evan until next time we are bad patients